Transpotting contains adult language, juvenile humor, and honest depictions of trans joy. Consume at your own discretion. I love, I love it. it. And we're live. We're recording. Hi, everyone. Kind of. Welcome to Transpotting. My name's Marsh, Marcia, Marsha, and... <laughs> Are you sure? It's Marcia for long, Marsha for short. And yeah. welcome to Transpotting. Today we have a very lovely guest. Um, my co-hosts are here with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes, I'm Celeste. I'm here. You know, I'm queer. We're doing our thing. I'm River, or Riv. I'm also queer, also doing my thing. Wow, what a coincidence. I'm also queer and doing <laughs> my thing. What a coincidence. Whoa. That's lovely. Um, our guest me. today is um, Sophie. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and what your focus area is? I mean, I don't want to be a combo breaker, so yeah, <laughs> I'm also queer and doing my thing. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Sophie. I am the host of We Have Always Existed, which is a YouTube series where I create long-form video essays on the wealth of history that we have from the ancient Mediterranean around transgender topics. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. It's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I think so, too. That's why yeah. I make them. It wouldn't be a show if Marcia didn't drop something. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm just it's giving you shit. Is this tradition? It's tradition. As is tradition. tradition. Yeah. I see. I see. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, for thanks for having us. me. We're really excited um, to have you on this lovely little show. Absolutely. What did you get? Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. So, I. I was going to say, I think I reached out to y'all like a long time ago and never heard anything back. And that's okay. I, I, I forgive you. You're forgiven. We're, uh, we can we can be <laughs> friends. That's cool. Um, and I got an email, I think like last week or something, and it was out of the blue and quite a pleasant little surprise. Yeah, that's my fault. Uh, our, uh, our intake form was broken for a bit and I didn't notice it oh uh, until I decided to go check on it recently and I was like oh oh there's there's stuff here and it hasn't been alerting anyone <laughs> oh <laughs> no wonder why isn't that it's fun? fun technology's great isn't it we can always um blame technology for our own shortcomings and that's lovely for sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. Sophie, when did you get started making videos and what inspired you to do it on this topic? Yeah, so um, I started in, well, in 2020 when we were all locked down and we all had a lot more free time all of a sudden. People were popping up learning how to bake bread or learning how to uh, crochet or do this or that. And I've always had an interest in history. Um, there's my history degree on the wall back there. So I've always, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've it's a degree in classical studies, which is the focus of my channel. And hanging out in trans circles, you hear people talk about stuff. And so 
I heard people talk about, oh, these transgender Scythian priestesses or this transgender emperor or whatever. And it was intriguing to me. And I'd heard glimmers of these things throughout my degree, but all my professors were cis professors teaching cis Cis history, heteronormative history, and it, <laughs> exa- great. There, there's yeah. That's anyway. So they, it was mostly old white guys, and they were teaching from the perspective of old white guys, which is you know that that, that does give you something. But I remember hearing glimmers of these topics, but never really dug too much into them because I was too busy suppressing things at the time. And so once. I saw people start talking about this stuff. It's like, oh, cool, well, let's do some more research. And then I found very little in the way of, like, stuff that was written, A, that was thorough and nuanced, but was also written for, like, the average person, not like a, um, uh, like, ivory tower academic sort of stuff. It was either super, super heavy stuff that was way too difficult to dig through for the average person, or, like, just, like, listicles and whatever... uh, whatever magazine that like didn't go in depth into things and reported it wrong. Cause like reporting on history is kind of like reporting on science. Like nobody does it right. And so I figured somebody should do this and I don't know, fuck it. I know how to do it. And I know enough about this stuff. I guess somebody has got to do it and it may as well be me. So here I am. That's so cool. I'm really proud of you for saying that because that's really awesome. For saying, for saying fuck, fuck it, it. <laughs> do it, it's gonna be me. You literally yeah. said fuck it, we ball about history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. That's really cool. Um I actually my minor is in history. Um, my major is in journalism, but I took a minor in history just because I love history. Okay. So Yeah. Oh, are you still there? You cut out. Hey gang, sorry about that. Oh no, you're okay. Totally I, fine. I my microphone cable is not super secure and I can't help it. I'm Italian. I talk with my hands. So I often pull, this happens all the time. It's a real problem. <laughs> I need a better like, cord for anyway. I'm back. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. <laughs> um, hi, welcome so, back. Um, thank you, thank let's you. take so a second to get recentered. Sure. Okay. Inhale. Hold. And exhale. You're not my mom. <sighs> I not the boss you know, me. Marcia, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I okay. purposely started hyperventilating just to just to go against what you're saying. <laughs> so Sophie, you've been making videos for what? Over two years now? Something like that, yeah. I think the first one came out in like very early twenty twenty one or like late no. Yeah, late 2021, I think. Is there something that you've come through? Uh, can you tell us first about a little bit what your research process is like and how you um, prepare, do you prepare scripts for your videos or how does that work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it is a long, 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 long process. Um, what you see in my videos is the culmination of like, quite literally hundreds of hours of research that goes into each one of these videos. That's why I don't do that many of them that often because it takes so much work. Um, And I, so I start with a topic idea. 
sometimes I hear just people talking about it. Sometimes it's stuff I've wondered about over the years. And sometimes it's requests I get from channel. So I start with an idea and I start with, oh, there's a glimmer of something here. And then I dive in and I do research and I try not to come from the perspective of this is my conclusion. This is a transgender person in history. Here's the evidence to support it. I come more from a, this sounds trans. Let's find out something more about it. And sometimes like with the Elagabalus video that I did, the conclusion was we don't know and we probably won't ever know, which is not always the most satisfying conclusion to come to. But I don't know. I don't want to be like the right wingers, right? Where like you have an idea and you look for evidence to support it. I want to look at the evidence and come to the conclusion that I come to. However, um, however that conclusion, whatever, whatever that conclusion is, even if it's not the most satisfying one. So that's, I, I do a lot of um, reading primary sources, as well as a lot of scholarly research as well. There's a shelf full of uh, both secondary resources on the shelf behind me. And um, sometimes it's easy to come by. Sometimes I have to, like with, with one of the videos I'm working on, which I've been working on, God, like almost two years at this point. It's ridiculous how long it's because the sources are mostly like books that have been out of print since the seventies. So I have to like hunt them down on eBay and pay way too goddamn much money for them. Or I have to like go to the university library and hope I can find them or go to university libraries in other cities and try to find them there. So it's quite the arduous process sometimes. So one thing that you said there kind of stuck out to me, you know, you're looking mostly for primary resources, but how do you parse like through history, what it has meant to be trans, I'm sure it just looks vastly different from now versus, you know, year 300. And how do you parse the, the culturalness of it all? Absolutely. That's, that's a really important question. And it's, sometimes I'll see a lot of trans history is couched in this like, oh, well, there was no such thing as transgender back then. So it's not really transgender history, but blah, blah, blah. And it's easy to get bogged down in that sort of thing of like, oh, this, you know, we have to define certain things in certain ways, but there was no such thing as a cis person back then either. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't stop seeing themselves in, I don't know, dude bros seeing themselves in Spartan warriors and stuff like that, right? Sure. So it's not like, well, actually, there's no such thing as a cis man back then, so I'm sorry, you can't, you can't, there's no such thing. Video like, over. Yeah, it's absurd. It's absurd, right? So you, so you get bogged down in this, like, silly ideas about definitions and, like, oh, well, was it this, was it that? And so, actually, the trans historian Susan Stryker has a really, really good definition of, um, <clears throat> pardon me, of what transgender history means in a historical context. And it's the, the definition that she has is basically people who move away from the expectations provided by their society um, and around their gender. I, I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of summarizing this. Let me, let me find it quickly, actually, because yeah. it's, it's a really great definition. She says it in the very first page of her book, which is, which is, it's, it's fantastic. It's quite well written, despite the fact that 
it's called transgender history and it's only American transgender history, which I don't super love, but it's okay. Gotta have those fancy titles. Susan Stryker is kind of famous. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's awesome. She's awesome. No, uh, but anyway, so it, it's, it's, I can't, I can't find it, but what she's getting at is basically like, if you transgress the gendered expectations of your society, then that can be considered transgender in a historical sense. So it's, it's a different way of using and defining the word than how we use it just kind of like in a colloquial sense as, you know, when I might talk about trans or whatever it's not it's obviously not the same thing but it's okay because it's it, it of course it's not the same thing people are not the same as they were 2000 years ago we are but we aren't so <clears throat> that kind of just sidesteps that whole complicated mess and allows you to get into the stuff that's actually interesting which is to say that yes there are people who transgress gender norms 2000 3000 5000 10000 years ago we can we can put all that aside and we can get into what's actually interesting. I think that it's a really it's a really good answer. And I feel like it kind of becomes like an issue with semantics. Like the trans experience is one that people throughout history have always experienced, but it all hasn't always been called that or hasn't always had um, terminology associated with it. So when we're going back and looking at it with modern trying to put modern words onto it, well, it doesn't fit because they didn't have those modern words and they didn't have those concepts. But they still experience the emotions and the feelings and the things that we go through. So it's fascinating, fascinating to see. Is there a particular um, historical story or person that you um, have a favorite telling that story? I mean, the catalyst for what got me started on this series was both, um, I mean, the first video I did was just kind of like an introduction to trans history, but then I did one on, I did one on, um, my first two were the Scythians and Elagabalus, and I really enjoyed doing those ones. Uh, I keep having in the back of my head that I want to redo the Scythians one because I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of making videos. I still think the research is fairly solid, but the the camera quality is terrible. The audio quality is terrible. Um, it, it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. So I really want to redo it. But I thought that that topic was so interesting from like the, the what ifs of history are often more interesting than the facts we actually have and the, the the question is like did the Scythian transgender priestesses the Inari did they figure out how to use distill pregnant horse urine to figure out a you know prehistoric not prehistoric but ancient form of trans feminine HRT 2500 years ago maybe <laughs> maybe we don't actually know but like the fact that we're asking that question in the first place is like a like it's it's pretty wild like the the possibilities the, the ingredients are there i wish we had conclusive evidence we don't but it's it was still just so fascinating to dig into that could you give and, a short like summary of that for our listeners who haven't heard it and maybe me also <laughs> 
Sure, sure. Um, well, just just so you know, there's a video on it on the channel. Yeah, but so I can't watch a video in the middle of this, sort of this thing, interview. Go... <laughs> I mean, we totally cut. We can just okay, I'm turning it on right now. Instead of the rest, you, the rest of the interview is just us playing the playing the video. That's all it is. I'm Talk vain enough promotion. that I'd be okay with that. So <laughs> don't worry, we'll um, make sure we, we promo your your video stuff. Yes, links um, and everything. Yeah, so. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So the. Scythians were a culture that lived around, <clears throat> pardon me, the, uh, well, there's a wide swath of territory they had. It's all the way from like northern, northeastern China, kind of close to where mm-hmm. it is now, all the way to the Black Sea. So it's a huge swath of the territory. Scythians were like steppe um, people, right? Nomadic and yeah. 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 And it was a like, <clears throat> it's a broad variety of different cultures that had similar practices that we grouped together as Scythians, but they were an illiterate culture and like, it's a huge amount of territory and a long time ago. So the Scythians close to like Manchuria and the Scythians close to the Black Sea almost certainly didn't know about each other. Um, And if they did, it's not like it would really, right? So you know the most about the Black Sea Scythians because even though they didn't write, they lived close to the Greeks and the Greeks wrote a lot and they wrote about them a little bit. And they were they were nomadic. They were illiterate. They were uh, they wandered. They were they were well. They were nomadic. And among their people were a group called the Enari, and they were a form of priestess soothsayer sort of thing. We don't have any evidence from them, but we have Herodotus uh, who wrote about them, and we also have pseudo Hippocrates who wrote about them. And Herodotus, father of history, he wrote a lot of history. Not always the most um, not credible guy. He makes a lot of stuff up, um, and he admits that too. He's like, there's there's one section which I've always loved where he's talking about uh, like something happening with the in the court of uh, the Persian king Xerxes, and his introduction was, I wasn't there. And I don't know what he said, but here's what he might have said. And then he makes up like this whole conversation between him and his like his court. And it's like, this is complete fabrication. Like, you know, this is fiction, right? You're making this up. It's a real stone tablet turner is what it is, though. (laughs) Totally, totally. They 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 couldn't carve him out fast enough for the ancient ancient audience. Tap faster. So, so yeah, there's Herodotus who wrote about it and Pseudo-Hippocrates, which is like, there's this um, manuscript called the Hippocratic Corpus, which is credited to Hippocrates, the like Hippocratic Oath guy, um, almost certainly not written by him, almost certainly not written by one guy, but we don't know anything otherwise. So we just call it Pseudo-Hippocrates because I don't know, what else are you going to call it? <laughs> so... <clears throat> There's one text in there. It's called On Airs, Waters, and Places. And they talk about, whoever it is that wrote that, talked about the the Inari as well. And they describe them as having a female sickness. They dressed like women. They looked like women. They acted like women. And they served a woman's role in Scythian society. And that sounds pretty trans. That sounds really trans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, nah, it's still and, cis, though. Hashtag <laughs> down with the woman sickness. Of course, come of course. on, get up, get down with the woman sickness. That's what. That's what they were singing about. 
Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and so, so the, there's like a lot of questioning of like, what was this about? Like, what was the female sickness? And some scholars have said, oh, it must just be impotency, which like, but like, where did that, that idea doesn't really hold a lot of water. There's not a lot of like solid evidence that it would have been referring to impotence especially since they refer to the impotence of Scythian men, because apparently that was a thing because they were on horseback and they wore tight pants. So a lot of them were impotent, apparently. And so they, he talks about impotence in other parts, but he doesn't refer to it as a female sickness. So it's like, what is this thing? What, what does that mean? Um, and so fast forward those guys wrote in like the 6th century BCE, if I recall correctly. I could be wrong there. 4th uh, century. Anyway, they wrote in the BCE era. And so fast forward to the 1st century CE, the Roman poet Ovid, uh, famous for the Metamorphoses mm -hmm. and some other poems. Uh, he wrote around the same time Virgil did. He wrote during the reign of the Emperor Augustus, the first emperor. And at some point, he did something to upset Augustus so much that Augustus banished him from the empire altogether. We don't know what happened. Uh, it's There's a lot of conjecture. We think maybe he, like insulted Augustus's daughter or something like that. We don't we don't know exactly what happened. But anyway, he was banished from the empire and Roman Empire is really big. So like he's got to go far, right? Like he's living in in Rome and he's like, "No, not only do you have to leave the city, you have to leave the empire altogether." So he ends up in today it, the city is called Constanta. It's in Romania, which is pretty close to where the Scythians lived. And he spent the rest of his life there and wrote a lot of sad boy stuff because he didn't like living there. He missed he missed Rome. Like he's 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 a book nerd, right? He likes he likes the libraries. He likes reading. He likes spending time with other literati. And now he's living among barbarians. Like this sucks. So, um, one poem he wrote. He talks about this like old hag type of character named Dipsas who knows how to extract the, they use the word virus, which is a Latin word that means it, it's spelled the same as virus, but it doesn't mean virus. Uh, it means kind of like the, like, it can be used as poison. It can also be used as the, like the active ingredient sort of thing. Um, and it is known that extracting the active ingredient from pregnant horse urine is like the active ingredient is estrogen. It is the most concentrated place you can find estrogen outside of like a laboratory to the point where the, uh, the, the um, birth control pill that cis women use sometimes, Premarin, that is literally a portmanteau of pregnant mare urine, Premarin, right? So we know, and Ovid wrote about that as well. Uh, he's got another text called uh, on something about on cosmetics. I don't recall the name at, at the moment. But in that text, he talks about how it is known that using pregnant mare urine is a for, is a beautifying um, treatment. And you put estrogen on your face, it makes your face look younger, right? So 
we know Ovid knew about getting estrogen from pregnant horse urine. We know he wrote about someone who also knew how to do that while he was living among the Scythians. We know the Inari had a female sickness and looked like women. And that's all we know. And I hate that that's the end. I hate that that's the end. Mm -hmm. Like all the ingredients are there to have figured out transfeminine HRT 2,500 years ago. It's possible. We don't know. And I wish we did. And since it's not written by any of the primary people who are, you know, none of these are primary accounts. They're all secondary accounts of somebody outside that culture looking in. And since they were in a literary yeah. culture, um, everything was probably passed down via word of mouth, and that gets lost easily through history. Oh, that's so fascinating, though. I really love that idea. <laughs> I, I like those um, prehist- not prehistoric, but like pre-modern forms of HRT that you sometimes see occasionally popping up somewhere. Oh, that one's fascinating. That one's fascinating. Old DIY HRT just drops. Yeah. Not new, yeah. but old. Old school. BRB going to the stables. <laughs> Are there other that's groups why throughout had, history? That's why Sorry, I had, go ahead. I was going to say, that's why in the thumbnail for the video, it's got me holding a glass of beer. Like, with. Yeah, that tastes like horse piss, so. Yeah. It depends on what you're drinking, but yeah. Not that I've ever drank horse piss, but now I'm interested. <laughs> are, are you? Th- thanks for clarifying. I appreciate that. Oh, Marcia. Never oh, know in this community. Um, we like to have fun here. Are there other groups that figured out um, forms of HRT before the modern era? I feel like that can't be the uh, only one. You're probably right in that regard. I don't actually know. Um, I've not found anything else. That's not to say it doesn't exist. I just haven't found it myself yet. Um, <clears throat> and it's it's almost certain that they figured it later as well. But my historical focus is the ancient Mediterranean, which is like the Romans and mm-hmm. earlier. Um, sometimes I get into some prehistoric stuff. Uh, not on anything I've published yet, but. Um, yeah, the Romans and earlier is mine. So it's possible, uh, but I, I, I haven't seen anything. Cricket. <laughs> Sorry. I should do like an avatar Someone... cough whenever we have dead air. <laughs> it's, it's just a lot to digest and, you know, it's think about and just, I don't know, it... I can't help but have it just like put a smile on my face of just we've always found a way so that's cool there's a certain kind of like special perseverance in that life kind of reminds uh, us that we were never alone (laughs) that's why I called the channel we have always existed because we Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. and one of the things that made me want to make the channel well was like there is so much said about us and it's all lies, right? There's so many lies about us out there right now. And I mean, the channel is not for cis people. Cis people can watch it. That's fine. But it's not geared towards cis people. But if you're like, you know, if you are just kind of figuring yourself out, you're new to 
realizing that you're not exactly the gender you were popped out of the world. If you don't know any better, you could be forgiven for thinking that being trans is this isolated thing in the modern moment. That's this new idea that's popped up, but it's not. And I think I mentioned in the first video that I years ago, we deserve to know our own histories and we deserve to own our own histories. And so, you know, stuff like this, like, it's really cool. It's really interesting. And it's really fascinating that like, we figured out how to, how to exist in one way or another. And we're always gonna, so long as a, so long as persevere, trans people will still exist. And that's just part of the human experience. So knowing this history for a lot of girls, I think is, I mean, you're not the only person who's ever told me like learning about this stuff puts a smile on your face, right? Like it's, it's really awesome. And, and nobody was doing it. So somebody had to. It's really cool to learn a little bit about that stuff and, and to remember that we haven't ever been alone. And uh, as someone who's kind of in the witchy pagan community too, it's, it's, it's been tough to kind of uh, take on like um, uh, worship of our ancestors and without knowing anything like, do we even have ancestors? And of course we do. So it's really awesome to get more info about um, who came before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's always there's often been that spiritual aspect to it as well uh, with the, I just mentioned the, the Scythians who were priestesses and we know that they had a, we know they had one role at least, which was to figure out who was making the king sick if he was sick, um, assuming he wasn't sick every day. So they must've had something else to do as well, but we don't know. Um, but we know they served a spiritual role in their, in their society. But there were the the Galli as well, who were the, they came from the East, they came from um, Asia, which is like part of modern Turkey, and they, we know most about their role in Rome, but they were worshippers of the goddess Kibali, and they have very, very strong transgender uh, um, aspects to their story as well. It's probably like the clearest example of like, these are trans. You cannot deny it. Like it's very, very, very clear. They yeah. Could you go through that? Dressed like women. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Once I stop coughing up my own lungs. I'm I'm dealing with I deal with constant allergies. I have to clear my throat yeah. a thousand times and mute my mic too. So don't feel bad. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Appreciate it. Um. So, Grigia is in Anatolia, which is modern day Turkey. Uh, ah, back there is that, that's just not going to help. <laughs> um, but, um, so they had a, um, I know, right. I don't need a magnifying glass. Um, get they, the laser they had pointer. A, <laughs> then my cat will get excited. Um, <laughs> cat loves history. They had a good time. All the cat girls in the audience will get excited too. Um, <laughs> So 100% of our audience. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's in Anatolia, which is modern day Turkey. They had a polytheistic religion. We only know about Kibali 
as one of the goddesses that they worshipped. We know they worshipped others. We don't know much about them. Um, Kibali is... Her aspects show up in a bunch of other different um, religious worlds as well. She's got multiple different names. There are some strong transgender myths to her mythology, as well as her... Um, manservant sort of thing. Addis is a Hey, be nice. They're fighting. Um, <laughs> and so, um, right. So she's got some really strong transgender motifs to her mythology, as well as her servant Attis. Uh, there's a lot of castration going on there. And um, they... The Romans worshipped this goddess. Uh, they called her Magna Mater, the Great Mother, and the Greeks called her something else. I don't recall the exact name of the myth. Um, but there, they, she had a bunch of different names. Her mythology is wrapped up in Aphrodite's mythology as well, um, as well as uh, Rhea um, and Gaia and a bunch of other stuff as well. But anyway, so the Romans are fighting the Second Punic War between them and Carthage. And this was like the last time that any power had any real chance of stopping the advance of Roman hegemony in the Mediterranean. And they came pretty close to doing it. So this is a pretty dire time for the Romans. They're hanging on tooth and nail. They are fighting for their lives. Um, they have the Carthaginian general Hannibal, who is rampaging throughout Italy, um, getting a bunch of Roman allies to go over to his cause, defeating them in battle after battle after battle. Um, there's one battle called the Battle of Cannae, where defeats like a Roman army far, far larger than his. Um, basically what he does is he has his line um, the Roman forces advance, and he has his line slowly start to retreat, but also keep the shape. So eventually, the Romans are all in this sort of area. There, His forces are all around the edges. And then he has their cavalry come in and close, close them off. The Romans are completely surrounded, and they just get butchered. Tens of thousands of Roman soldiers butchered. And like, this is one-on-one -on -one combat with swords. So this butchering would have been happening over the span of, like, days. Like, your Roman soldier, like, here, like, you know you're going to die, but they're not going to get to you for another couple of days. So, like, anyway, just getting your head into that space is <laughs> something. But um, anyway, so the Romans lost a lot of soldiers. It was a pretty dire time. They were starting to push Hannibal back out of Italy, and they were starting to invade Carthage, which is like modern day, like <clears throat> Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, that sort of area. And um, they had this book called the Sibylline books, not this, not the, not the Kibali books, the Sibylline books, not related. And um, in that book, they had the one of the oracles that it had. Um, these were oracles purchased by one of the kings of Rome prior to this. And one of the oracles said, if you ever face a great foe, you will defeat them if you bring the great mother to the city. I said, okay. So they went to Phrygia, uh, to Pergamum, I think, the, the kingdom, which was an ally of Rome's. And they said, hey, we need, we need to take the great mother. And they said, okay, sure, do it. What's so the great mother in this The great context? mother 
it's represented by this black stone. We think it was a meteorite, um, but it was a big black stone. And that was the um, physical manifestation of the Great Mother, we'll say. So they brought it to Rome and the Galli priestesses came with her. And they, um, well, they castrated themselves. They wore women's clothing. They wore makeup, they wore tiaras, they wore jewelry, and they devoted their lives to the worship of Kibali. And, like, I'm sorry, that is trans. <laughs> that is quite literally trans. Yeah. And so, like, sometimes I read some stories from, like, cis historians that are like, well, maybe they were cis men and they just felt really, really religious. And it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So there are lots of people who are very religious that are very devoted to their God who don't cut off their junk and live as a different gender. Yeah. So. There's a different level of dedication going on here. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. It's like these people are just desperate See, okay, here's, to like, to say like, no, they're not, they're not trans. They're not trans. It must like, be this. Oh, they were just roommates. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. I um, grew up very religious, and I tell you what, if there was a role in that in my religion, I would have jumped at that. (laughs) Right? Right? Same. Raised Roman Catholic. I volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) Real. Totally. Totally. Uh, But it's it's wild, too, because, like, the, um, we don't have anything written by Galli. We only have uh, Romans talking about them and they thought they were weird and kind of disturbing. So they basically locked them in the temple and they were only allowed out during the festivals, uh, devoted to Kibali. And so it was this group of basically this group of trans femmes who spent all their time together in a building. What were they doing together? <laughs> Probably religious rituals. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, sure. We'll go with that. They were, um, they we'll call super it that. Devoted. Spiritual experiences. It's fun to imagine that. We don't know. We don't know. Um, this is another example where the like what ifs of history are sometimes more fun than mm-hmm. than what you actually have. But uh, there is Roman case law that says that. That that talks about them, and so there is a um, the situation involves um, a slave owner and two of his slaves, um, and these two slaves were freed. One of them decided to become join the galley. The other didn't, and they remained friends throughout their life. And the one who was not a galley a gala died. And left all of his stuff to the one who was a gala. But the slave owner argued that the gala person, I don't remember their name, unfortunately, is not not a man, because, you know, the castrated part, uh, not a woman, because he can't get pregnant. And so, as a result cannot inherit according to Roman law because they had separate laws over inheritance, whether you were a man or a woman. And they argued this in court 
Yes, I know, right? I know. Yeah. They argued this in court, and the court decided in favor of the slave owner. And so <clears throat> the gala was not allowed to inherit the property of his, of her friend who had left it to her. Terrible. Sucks. Very unfortunate. However, what that does is provide legal recognition for a third gender 2,000 years ago. Oh, in Roman law, too. Fascinating. Yeah. A third persecuted gender. The best kind. (laughs) I know, right? Like, it's not like, oh, wow, they're like, they're, they've got such wonderful protections under Roman law. Like, no, it's not good. However, it's still recognition of. It's not good, but it's still recognized. Gender. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which is. It's something. something. It's somewhere to start. A non binary loophole. (laughs) Exactly. And this this one was written, I think, it's first century CE. Um, so, like around the time of Christ. So, like it, this non-binary recognition has been around since at least as long as Christianity has. And that's just in the legal sense, let alone in a more interpersonal sense. I mean, there's mentions of people who don't conform to gender norms in the Bible too not necessarily always condemned either. There's It talks about people who become eunuchs by choice. And it's like, hmm, that doesn't sound very cis. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's what my last video was on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And angels are genderless. This is like well-regarded and well-established dogma. This isn't like woke stuff or whatever, right? Like this is well-known. Anybody who knows anything about Christian dogma will the accept woke this. Catholic Church. So, <laughs> right. There's people who think that, though. Well, so, well, there's people, there's people who think anything. Um, yeah. <sighs> anyway, I can talk about this stuff all day. I love it. No, it's, it's no, I I love this. Awesome. So you've mentioned a couple examples of like trans feminine history is there trans masculine history as well that you could point out that is less definitely less known to me and i'm sure is probably a little less known to the audience as well yes uh this is not the first time i've been asked about that um to a certain extent the channel does reveal my own biases i've mostly focused on trans feminine stuff so far i am going to be my next video um or a an upcoming video i'll say is going to be because who the hell knows god is um a video on the roman satirist lucian uh who wrote a piece called the dialogues of the courtesans which is a almost like ancient comedy sketches or ancient like little sitcoms almost about um, well, dialogues between courtesans, prostitutes. And one of them talks about one courtesan talking to her friend who is, um, and her friend is like, oh, I heard you slept with the, with that lesbian woman. Uh, tell me more, tell me more. Lesbian in this case being um, from the island of Lesbos, but also being a lesbian. Ah, oh, fun little coincidence like, there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, 
lesbians. Lesbos is where Yeah, the OG lesbian. So, right, right. So that would have been like the like, that would have been understood in, in the ancient world as well as like, Hey, look, she likes girls and she's from Lesbos. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like it, it would have been, the term lesbian wasn't really a thing other than someone from the island, but it would have been understood as, you know, kind of a funny thing. And she sleeps with the woman from Lesbos and her wife. But then when they actually sleep together, the woman from Lesbos, Megila, pulls the wig off of their head and says, my name is Megillus and I'm a man. And uh, this is fiction, um, but then, like, the courtesan goes through this whole process is like, wait, what? Oh, so you're like, so you're like disguised as a woman, but you're actually a man, kind of like Achilles was. And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, okay, well, maybe you were turned into a woman and then turned back into into a man like 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 Tiresias. I heard someone told me once that somebody told me that somebody told me once. And it's like she's like grasping at straws for all this type of stuff. And it's like it's really funny to watch because she's like she can't quite figure it out. And eventually he's like, no, I was born a woman, but I have the brain and the drives of a man. And it's like, well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Even though it's fiction so like it's less historical analysis than it is literary analysis, but there is still some history there too. There's cultural um, understanding. I love how this is people still have a hard time understanding it way back in the day. <laughs> I was going to say it's such a, tr- a universal trans experience of like, wait, what? <laughs> it's so funny. It's, it's actually a really funny little, uh, uh, little vignette. Um, there's 15 little skits and like, some of them are depressing, some of them are sad, but some of them are very funny. Um, it's a lot of fun. This one is not done yet, so I don't have quite the same um, oomph to it that I do the other stories that we've talked about so far, because yeah. I finished that research. This one is still kind of rudimentary at this point, but it's still pretty, pretty transy. So um, cool. there are some other transmasculine topics as well. I haven't gotten into them yet, but I'm gonna, because, you know, trans men deserve to know their history too. Absolutely. Part of the, they're part of the club. They get forgotten. I feel like them. trans men get the short end of the stick a lot of times through history because, you know, um, historically women have had so little autonomy and rights over their own decisions that if a woman stands up and says, hey, you know, or if society is perceiving somebody as a woman and they stand up and say, no, I want to be treated this way, um, a lot of people probably just wouldn't take them seriously. Um, and I think that that happens like, unfortunately a lot. And, but that's probably part of the reason why that is a little bit more harder to find stories about. That's just my own like, um, feelings as a complete like lay person. Cause I, I'm not a historian. I'm not a, um, that's absolutely part of it. Um, yeah, that that's absolutely part of it. There's also the like there's a the Venn diagram of overlap between transmasculine culture and lesbian culture. It it's two different things, but there is more of an overlap there than there is like trans women and 
I don't know, I don't feel any particular cishet dude culture. Um, <clears throat> and so like, I, I, I don't think like, maybe like straight trans women feel more of an affinity. But I don't know, that's, they're more separate mm -hmm. from each other is the point. And there, there is more of an overlap. And that's why like, he, him, lesbians are a thing. And like, she, her straight guys mm -hmm. aren't, I don't think maybe, you know, not, not to like disparage anybody's if, if anybody does identify as that my, like my apologies, but I don't think it's much as much of a phenomenon as he, him, lesbians are. And so there is more of that sort of overlap. And so in some cases, diving into this stuff, it's sometimes hard to suss out, are you a trans man? Are you a lesbian? Are you both? It's it's not always as clear. Yeah, it makes it a little tricky there, doesn't it? Layers, there's nuance. There's it's a lot of layers. Isn't being queer cool? <laughs> There's just so much to it. <laughs> we get to be complicated. I, mean, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> well, it's I mean, interesting yeah. to keep like hearing all these stories before there were terms and labels for all of this, right? And before society decided, oh, we have these buckets you need to fall into and you're trans and you're a lesbian and maybe you're a little bit of both and maybe you're this and um, you're non-binary, but we're not going to, we're going to put X as your gender instead of actually giving you other options. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before all of that bullshit, there, you know, people live their lives and they were still valid and it still happened and it's part of history. Um, and it's cool to see that uh, one, once again, we have always been here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, <coughs> pardon me. Um, yeah, there, there's the, in, in Roman culture, for example, they didn't have the idea of gay and straight or trans and cis. These were not concepts that occurred to them, but there were still people who transgressed gender norms and there were still people who, you know, slept with people of the same sex. Um, Julius Caesar was famously described as every man's woman and every woman's man. And like, there's question about whether or not that was just like slander that happens a lot in the Roman historical record, but it's tempting to say, oh, well, Julius Caesar, bisexual icon. It wasn't it. And like, kinda, kinda, but also they, he wasn't like, they didn't think to attach an identity to you based on who you slept with, like we do today, right? Like I'm hetero, I'm homo, I'm bisexual, I'm pansexual, I'm whatever. And from what it's not a bad thing, it's just <clears throat> not what they. From have. what I understand in Roman sexuality, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but who was on top and who was on bottom was more important than what gender you were. Yeah, yeah. totally. That's the closest we have to gay and straight is like penetrator or penetrate head. And <clears throat> being the penetrator you was, were, uh, you're doing good. You're okay. Being the penetrated was, <laughs> if you yeah. were a man, if you were a man, yeah. yes, you could sleep with any, as many guys as you wanted and it wouldn't be a big deal. You wouldn't face any like social censure for it. So long as you were the top, <clears throat> cause that was like, the whole idea was wrapped up in this idea that the Romans had of virtus, um, 
in, it's spelt like virtue, but with an S instead of an E on the end. <clears throat> and it it's sometimes translated as virtue, but that's like a huge, huge oversimplification. It was basically how like Roman men ought to act. And so <clears throat> it was things like, like controlling yourself, temperance, being wise, having foresight, uh, being a leader, uh, stuff like that. And the idea of bottoming was not considered temperate. It wasn't considered being in control of yourself. It was considered taking a woman's role and as a result, taking a less than role because they were just as sexist back then as they are today. So <clears throat> that was the point, right? Like if you were a Roman man and you wanted to sleep with dudes, you'd probably be sleeping with slaves because, you know, the, you're already... The, they're already kind of the bottom of the barrel as far as the like social hierarchy goes. So it's not like they're going to lose any status, which <clears throat> I know this is all really messed up for me to say. Please don't like, I hope nobody edits this out of context. We're not judging you for reporting <laughs> yeah. history. Yeah. No, no, no. <clears throat> Cancelled right now. Yeah. Okay. Ancient Romans. <laughs> Sophie canceled for approving of Roman Do you social think hierarchy. when all those cis <laughs> um, guys, cis males think and say about how they love to think about the Roman Empire, that this is what they're thinking about? <laughs> all I can think about Quite is possibly. that someone Quite needs possibly. to describe what a power bottom is to the yeah. Roman Empire. <laughs> Good Lord. Good I Lord. just, I love the idea that all of these men are just walking around saying they're the tops when they're not. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're all dudes and like somebody's got to be the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I can just imagine all the finger pointing matches. No, you were the bottom. <laughs> I mean, that's just queer relationships yeah. in general, though. <laughs> You're not wrong. Honestly, talking about like the Roman, uh, like (laughs) propaganda and slander, that's basically what that is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, like, it's like them slandering him because he fancies dudes. That's not the slander part. It wouldn't be that big a deal if he wanted to, you know, head down to the slave brothel and and get busy. But it was that he was the bottom. (laughs) That that was the problem. I love it. Heat of the moment, I know you can say some terrible things. In the heat of the moment, I don't know any better you could be forgiven for thinking that being trans is this isolated thing in the modern moment that's this new idea that's popped up but it's not